Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. Hi, I'm Frances Callier. And I'm Angela V. Shelton. And we're Frangela. You know what you need in your life? Hmm. The Final Word Podcast. Yes, you do. That's right. It is the final word on all things political and pop cultural. Where we make real news real funny. Where we inspire you so you can hashtag resist. Subscribe and get a new episode of the Final Word Podcast each week. It's the news we think you need to hear. That's right. We think you need to hear it. Okay? Yeah, it's what we say so. That's right. And because all we do is give, every Thursday you can listen to our hysterical podcast, Idiot of the Week. We round up the stupid because you know what? Somebody has to. Okay. All we do is give. Дамы и господа, это Prevail и ваш ведущий Грег Олег. I'm Greg Oliar. This is the season finale of the Prevail Podcast, episode 25. You know, you know, when I started doing this in February, I would dutifully just write down S1E1, S1E2. And I thought to myself, God, I wonder how long like a like a season's gonna be, because this isn't like a narrative podcast, right? It's just, I just talking to people every week. So I don't even know what that means, a season. And now I have the answer. A season is 25 episodes. You've got 25 weeks of great content, and I've delivered that. And I'm, I'm kind of, I, you know, I'm happy about it. I'm pleased with, with how this has gone. I've had some really great people on this show in this first half year. I'm grateful to all of them. I'm grateful to you for listening. And today's episode is really great. It's like a treat because my good friend Duke Haney is here. Duke is, first of all, he's one of my favorite people. He is a, a writer. He wrote a novel called Banned for Life, which we'll talk about in the podcast, which is just a fantastic, fantastic book that probably you haven't read. And I encourage you to go check out. He was an actor. He's a photographer. He's a screenwriter. Uh, he's a just an artistic guy, really smart, fun to listen to. And I recorded this with him months ago. I think it was in March that we recorded this. And I wasn't sure when I would run it, you know, because it's 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 an it's a departure sort of episode. Because in the first part, we talk about Trump and the election, and I think people will respond to this or identify with it because Duke is a guy who was not overtly political and kind of became very political when Trump won in twenty sixteen. So we talk about that and his story and his sort of awakening uh during that that four-year period of time he's also from charlottesville virginia that's where he grew up so we talk a little bit about charlottesville and how that that word has been associated with the alt-right in this this horrible way and then the second part of the podcast it's almost like a sunday pages if you read my prevail Substack, you know on sunday i run literary stuff i run short stories i run poems songs song lyrics things like that 
and he and I talk about, uh, you know, writing and his career, which is kind of fun and interesting and eclectic. I mean, he was living in Serbia. He was making movies with Roger Corman, all, all kinds of stuff. Um, he has a lot of funny stories, and he's just an interesting guy to talk to. So I wasn't sure when this would run, and the answer is, it's the season finale. That's when it's going to run. So again, this is episode 25. We're going to have two weeks where I'm going to do... Um, Reruns. I'm going to rerun a couple of episodes uh, that ran early on in the broadcast. And then we will be back on the 27th of August. That'll be the next uh, the next new podcast. The beginning of, of season two is what it's going to be. It's going to be the beginning of season two of the Prevail podcast. I want to just thank everybody for listening. It's it's such a, an honor and privilege and, and, and kind of a mind blow to just have launched this thing almost in a, in, a, in a very soft opening sort of way and see the numbers grow and, and, and know that people are out there listening. And it, it really means a lot to me. I'm so happy that, that, that it's finding an audience. I'm really grateful for, to, for all the guests that have come on because I've had some really interesting conversations and I've learned a lot from my guests these past 25 weeks. And I just want to say a general thank you to all of them. And Anybody that uh, that reads my Substack, that subscribes there, thank you for doing that. Um, that's always appreciated. You can go check that out. It's just gregoliar.com. You know, there's lots of good stuff on there on the archive as well. So we're going to be right back with Duke Haney. Meantime, everybody, please be safe. Wear your masks. Be careful. And I want everybody to enjoy uh, the rest of August, but I, I, I especially want everybody to just be safe and smart. Let's stop the spread. Let's get this thing under control so we can, you know, resume normalcy. All right. Uh, do I have anything else to add? Any, any words of wisdom? I do not. I do not have any words of wisdom for you other than thanks again. And we'll be right back with my friend, Duke Haney. Time to go home now. I've got to make it. And high fever I may soon be dead Wish I had listened I guess the doctors were right Fuck Eric Clapton I'm on a ventilator tonight Fuck Eric Clapton Okay, I'm here with with my dear friend Duke Haney, who is, in addition to a, a dear friend of mine, one of the best writers I know. And I'm not I'm not saying that to be uh, hyperbolic here. I, I have your books here in front of me, Banned for Life, which, as you know, I love, great novel. And then you have two uh, essay collections of nonfiction. You've got Subversia, and you've got Death Valley Superstars. And I encourage everybody to go check those out. Now, you and I have not actually spoken on the phone since you called me on election night, late on the <laughs> East Coast on election night, and you were nervous, and mm. I talked you off the ledge. So my first question is, how are you feeling now? Do you feel any better? Oh, oh, God, a lot better. Actually, one of the reasons that I was nervous about uh, uh, doing this with you today is that uh, 
I have to confess that I am not following current events uh, as closely as I did for uh, uh, five years, roughly, uh, uh, you know, from when um, Trump entered the, the, uh, the, the fray. Um, so I, I, I feel so relieved that uh, I, I don't have to white knuckle my way to the news every day. So I'm afraid I'm, I'm uh, not up to speed on an awful lot that, that's going on. That's fine. And that's that's to be expected. I mean, what what I want to talk about the Trump years anyway with you, because mm-hmm. something that I thought was interesting, we, you and I met on a website called The Nervous Breakdown, which was a sort of literary um, place where we all went and lots of different writers had access and were able to post things. And then we would all comment on each other's posts and it, it became this lively um community, writer's community. It was almost like an MFA that we got without having to pay for, right? And at that time, writing about politics on that site, I mean, just nobody ever did it. It wasn't anything that was popular or normal. And you struck me as somebody who wasn't political at all. Um, You know, it's certainly not in any kind of quote unquote woke sort of way. And then when Trump came along, it was like you were animated, like something activated inside you and you became this completely other person. Now, I remember you saying early on that you thought that Trump would win. So why did you say that? What made you think that early on? This was long before November. Mm. Well, um, I, I, first of all, uh, I watched him take down uh, uh, a whole host of uh, Republican candidates, one by one. Um, I noticed that he seemed to uh, dominate the the debates. Everybody was talking about Trump. Uh, the energy was sort of, uh, I, I ordinarily, I hate that word, energy, <laughs> um, unless it, it's literally applying to energy. Um, <laughs> um, but, it, but, every, but he seemed to be uh, sucking up all the oxygen in, in every room that he inhabited. Um, and, um, uh, and I remember um, talking to my brother um, on the phone. This would have been in the spring of 2016. And I remember that um, he said to me at the time uh, that uh, he was not a Trump supporter, but uh, quote unquote, Trump is saying a lot of things that need to be said. Um, and um, and then it, it came to my attention that he was in fact a Trump supporter. That was uh, um, around um, uh, June or July. And I haven't talked to him since. Wow, okay. Uh, he and I don't talk to this day because he voted for Trump and his wife voted for Trump. and. Um, Actually, probably almost everybody in my family voted for Trump, um, uh, except my mom. Uh, she had succumbed to to Fox News um, and uh, began to identify herself uh, prior to 2016 for the first time as conservative. She used to say to me when I was a kid that she didn't vote for the person, or she, or she voted for the person, not for the party. And um, I took that to heart, and then suddenly she was uh, calling herself a conservative, uh, which horrified me. Um, 
And uh, I remember having a, a conversation with her on the phone uh, around the time that I learned my brother was a Trump supporter. Um, and she was uh, going through her misgivings about Hillary. And I said, but mom, you know, Hillary is, is, is the best we've got. And she said, well, I have to admit, I think you're right. And uh, I made her sound like Ronald Reagan there. <laughs> a little bit sounded like Ronald Reagan to me a little bit. Um, and she became um, a Hillary supporter. So I was uh, happy that I, I uh, converted my mom, although I did get uh, from her the, uh, you know, but what about her emails? We had a, okay. we had, went through a long thing about her emails. And she said, well, if I had a job like that. And they told me not to use a certain server. I wouldn't use a server. Like, mom, it's just emails for Christ's sake. It's just, it's just, a, it's just, it's like she said, it's a nothing burger. Um, yeah. And I was raising money on the phone for her um, for uh, in 2016. I mean, that was my job at the time. I was actually working a job that was uh, barely, uh, you know, paying minimum wage, but I was raising money for her and and for other. Um, other Democratic candidates, um, and uh, for you know the uh, the uh, um, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, uh, the Senatorial Campaign you know uh, Campaign Committee, um, and um, so I I have to say that I I started that election cycle um, not uh, a fan of Hillary's. Uh, I had misgivings about her. Um, left over from her husband's presidency, because as you know, I lived in the former Yugoslavia, which was bombed by uh, the uh, Clinton administration. And um, I, I was not uh, a fan of uh, the Clinton administration's uh, foreign policy. Um, but uh, as the campaign went on, I began to separate her, you know, more and more from her husband, which I, I realized I had never done. And I, 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 you know, took her on her own terms and um, was was uh, a, a very enthusiastic supporter. I have to say, by the end, so. that's that's how she is. You know, she she gets in there, and then you realize, oh, this you know, she's actually quite good. And it it's an interesting point about separating them, because she's been basically targeted by Republican dirty ops for what thirty five years now, and mm -hmm. has suffered from her husband's stuff and her own and being a woman and all this, all this other kind of stuff. It's been pretty, you know, uh, ghastly really. Um, now you're, did your brother vote for Trump again in 2020 or just in 16 or do you not know? My understanding is that, uh, he voted for Biden in the last election. Uh, uh, this is just uh, via my mom. Uh, yeah, yeah. my, my, I don't really, get into the political thing with my dad too much because I'm, i mean i'm telling you every minute that you're in that house if he isn't watching a ball game uh he's watching fox uh or a hunting or fishing show um but uh, fox is on all the time uh there and uh uh, uh i you remember that i vowed never to speak to anybody who had voted for trump uh after he was declared <laughs> the winner um, and I held to that. I broke with some people um, in addition to my brother. Um, it was quite painful in some cases. Um, I think a lot of people did. I, I think listening to this, people will nod and they'll say, oh, yeah, my, you know, my parents, my brother, my pe people get lost, especially the Fox News. 
And if you're watching Fox News all the time, I mean, it's at this point, it's it's almost the same as watching RT in Russia. The, the, they show the same damn video clips. It's really it's really kind of crazy. Um, after the election, you were on Facebook and you were having kind of a meltdown, I think, in, in, a, <laughs> um, in an amusing way. I mean, we were all having our own meltdowns, but I remember one thing you said, because you, I don't know how you had so many Trump people that were your friends on Facebook to begin with, but you said to one person, enjoy your king. And I think that was the <laughs> one of the best things anyone wrote at the time. And it really did turn out to be pretty prophetic because that's what he certainly tried to make himself into. And these people that adore him, almost it is kind of an adoration reminiscent of a monarchy and less of a, of a, of a presidency. Well, let me tell you what happened that night. I mean, I, I uh, have been keeping my eye on the, uh, the polls. Uh, I mean, I would check the polls uh, four or five, six, seven, eight times a day uh, during the 2016 election cycle. And whenever uh, I saw Paul that saw him ahead, um, uh, you know, I would uh, go into a, a deep depression. <laughs> and um, but everybody around me uh, seemed to think that Hillary would win. And um, there were moments when I thought maybe. Or even probably she would uh, prevail. Aha, little plug there, Craig. Um, and. Um, um, and then, of course, the the Comey letter uh, uh, came out, or, or right. whatever message or whatever. And I remember that um, that weekend, it was around Halloween. I went out uh, to um, to an all night uh, horrorthon at this uh, uh, theater out in Santa Monica, and I didn't have a way back. And so um, everybody, I had gone with they all left uh, you know at like three four in the morning and i stayed all the way through the entire thing and um staggered out of the theater at like eight in the morning uh it was drizzling um and uh and i uh was waiting for the bus uh to take me all the way back to echo park it's, there's a quite a distance between santa monica and echo park and um i was looking at my phone at the uh the polls and and um and the polls are really reflecting the impact of the uh, the Comey uh, letter. And I called a friend of mine and uh, uh, I said, uh, you know, I'm standing here at the bus stop and I just saw the, these polls and, and there's just no <laughs> Trump is going to win. And he, he didn't believe it. He said, well, even if he gets in, I mean, you know, they'll, they'll remove him really quickly, um, which is the kind of rationalization that I heard all over the place. Um, sure. Yeah, I thought so, too. I and, so too. Um, well, a lot of people thought that. Um, but um, anyway, I tried to to be optimistic. And and, and um, on election night, um, I uh, I was af afraid to look at the returns. And then I did a little bit and they were not looking good. And I was like, OK. I am going to be institutional, have to be institutionalized if I sit around here and, and watch this all night. And so I'm going to go to the the New Beverly Theater, which is owned by Quentin Tarantino. Um, they're showing a double feature, election night double feature. Uh, it's a revival house. Uh, they were showing uh, The Candidate with Robert Redford and Shampoo with Warren Beatty. 
which is all set on uh, election day, 1968, when which which Nixon won. Uh, is well, well for those of you who pre- don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, so I uh, was careful not to look at my phone uh all the way there and i go in the first movie was shampoo and and um uh and i walked out uh into the lobby at intermission and i saw everybody was sort of like looking down at their phones and um and and uh, i there was no uh, you know uh jumulence anywhere i mean i could right. just i could just tell that the news not must not be good you know and somebody came up to me that i knew and i was like do not talk to me i do not want to know please do not tell me uh <laughs> you know uh <laughs> um and so uh i went back into the theater and they were actually uh they had on the speakers rather than playing uh, like a 1970s soundtrack album, the way that they would ordinarily at that theater. They were actually, uh, uh, you know, uh, they had the, um, you know, the election results uh, being uh, played inside the theater. And I could hear that, you know, Indiana is going, you know, and all this. And I was like, oh, God, I just I sat all the way through the re- that that second film. I could not I could barely pay attention to it. I was just sitting there just feeling terrible. Um and uh, and I was actually plotting like the next few weeks. I thought, okay, this movie's over. I'm gonna go home. Uh, I am going to go right to bed. I'm not gonna look at my phone. I am not going to look at television. I'm not. I'm gonna. You know, I'm not gonna talk to anybody for like days because uh, I have to just mentally prepare myself for this. I have to. You know, it's it's a it's a step onto a new planet. Uh, I have to kind of prepare myself to inhabit this new planet. Um, and so the movie's over and, um, I, you know, practically run to the lobby. Once again, everybody, people are standing out to the theater, like looking at their phones, you know, people look sort of gray faced. Um, and, uh, but I still haven't heard it officially and I'm like, okay, I'm good. And I'm, and I walk around the corner and I happen to pass this bar um the bar has closed um the lights are all off but the tv is on uh up uh, above the bar and i i guess these are the employees they're all standing these silhouettes with their backs turned to me they're all looking up at the tv and there on the screen is donald trump uh 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 acknowledging his victory and at the bottom of the screen i see i see uh uh hillary clinton has called trump uh, to concede uh this is now i don't know around midnight or so and so i i immediately took up my phone and i went on facebook and i wrote this thing in all caps and you'll remember (laughs) this and i was like if you voted for this guy do not ever talk to me again don't ever talk to me you're dead to me um (laughs) And immediately, you know, I, you know, I get some like, but you know, like <laughs> buttons, and people are popping in. And then this one woman I know who works in the film industry, um, is who is also a born again Christian, comes in and she starts saying, uh, you know, well, I, you know, I voted for him, and I, how dare you say this and this kind of thing. And then this, this other friend of mine whom i've never met uh, he starts bickering with her 
And um, and then finally, I waded in, and I and I said, I said, um, uh, her name was Chris, and I said, Chris, just unfriend me now, because I'm going to do it when I get home anyway. Uh, and then I think she and I had one more exchange, and that was when I wrote, "Enjoy your king." <laughs> it's really so perfect. Like it's it's succinct and it, it yeah yeah it's it's it, every word is meaningful. Every word is meaningful. Enjoy, you know, the, 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 the sort of almost ironical way and your king rather than mine and then king. And yeah, it's really good. It's good stuff. Um, yeah, that was a that was a brutal night. I mean, it really was. And I think everybody was feeling it four years later when we you know, <laughs> couldn't get the catharsis right away. Even when we knew that Arizona was going to win and we knew that all the ballots were coming in and all this kind of stuff, just watching the sea of red on the screen was traumatizing. It was, I, I knew that Biden was going to win, but it, man, it was traumatizing to watch that. And they waited so damn long. They waited so long to announce, um, but when they we announced, were told to expect this, Rick, we were told to expect this. I wrote we, a thing saying to I know, expect it. I know. It. <laughs> I mean, we, we all knew this was going to happen. And yet yeah. on that night, you know, uh, you know, I had PTSD like so many of us do. Yeah. Yeah. And um, you were one of about three people I called, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was, you know, I was, you know, I was I not only was I on the ledge. I mean, I had, you know, one foot, you know, dangling out into space and. Uh, uh so uh yeah i i i uh i, I somebody else who said um uh, to me uh look he's going to win one of these all he has to take is one battleground state it's going to be michigan or wisconsin or one of them you know that's all he has to have i was like okay i feel a little bit better now uh so yeah it was a delayed response and then and then of course you know on the day that um uh, Biden was declared. I, you know, I uh, marched right down to uh, the, the corner of Sunset Boulevard and Echo Park Avenue. Actually, I took some pictures that you ended up using. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, I had a mask on then, but then a friend of mine was like, hey, we're right up the street. We're at a bar. Come up here. Yoo-hoo. So I went up there. And the next thing I know, I'm like snorting cocaine at this guy's house and <laughs> nobody's wearing a mask. And and then it occurred, then like a day later, I, I hear, uh, Duke, you better go get tested for COVID. Uh, somebody who was there that night has, has got it. Oh, <laughs> <Christ>. <laughs> so I let my guard down one time. You didn't uh, get it. You didn't get it, did you? No, no I didn't. No, no, nobody, yeah. nobody was around. I just that guy was. He was. I just walked through the room with him, and he was like working out on his Nautilus machine or something. He just married a woman from belarus or something and apparently she's in tip-top shape and so he feels he must be in tip-top shape also and uh so he was you know working out on this nautilus machine and and turned out that he had COVID. <laughs> oh god no i remember the the stephan you know my wife and and milo stayed up my 14 year old stayed up all, almost all night watching the returns and i think it was the first night that they did that they finally went to bed at four or five in the morning. They had been watching. Milo watched the whole thing. He was riveted by it. And I woke up early. Everybody, The TV was still on, but everybody was asleep. And as I walked, it was probably 5.30, quarter to six in the morning. As I walked past the TV into the kitchen, Michigan turned blue on the screen. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, ca I can't even tell you, all of my anxiety just washed right out of my body. Like it mm -hmm. just flew away. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, I knew he was going to win, but I still wanted the the certainty of it, you know, 
and since then I, I I've been all right. I mean, there's still, you know, God, there's so many bad things to, to unpack, but um, I wanted to ask you too about Charlottesville and what your response was to that when it happened, because you are from Charlottesville. That's your, that's your hometown. Um, well, uh, I did not like Charlottesville very much growing up there. Uh, it was fine up until, you know, I, you know, I, I hit puberty and suddenly I became aware of, um, class, which was something that I, I had, you know, practically no understanding of up until that time. And we talk a lot about race in this country, but we don't talk about class much. Um, but uh, there were definite uh, class lines there. And uh, I suddenly discovered that I was born on the wrong side of the class line. And um, so uh, I, I always felt uh, inferior uh, growing up there. Um, and um, I just, you know, I didn't really fit in with those who were of my class. And, and uh, I was excluded from uh, really from hanging out with people who were, um, you know, more on my wavelength just because they, they, uh, they had parents who were academics and that sort of thing. I mean, a lot of their parents, uh, the, the parents of those kids uh, were associated with the University of Virginia. You know, they were, they were um, academics and that kind of thing. Uh, so I was very eager to get away from Charlottesville, um, and it, it's always a little funny for me to think of it as my hometown. Uh, I, you know, I, when I went back to Virginia, uh, I I tended not to go into uh, town. I, I my my parents both grew up on farms um, outside of Charlottesville, and uh, I I uh, I would would just uh, hang out on my dad's farm or or go to my grandmother's um, farm. Uh, it, it, it was nevertheless, um, you know, what can I say? It was horrifying, um, to see these, uh, Nazis, uh, marching around with, uh, their, uh, you know, tiki torches, um, uh, around the university. Um, uh, the, you know, the, uh, the university is really quite beautiful, I have to say, um, Sure. Uh, it's it's beautifully beautifully designed. I mean, I you know, I I it was the only place in town really to go when I was a kid. I mean, you know, like as a teenager, uh, when I would skip school, I would go to the, you know the university because uh, because there were little places to hang out there, you know, and and it, uh, there would be screenings of, of I mean, like I saw Let It Be uh, uh, in the Hard Day's Night for the first time at the university. They screened it at, uh, you know, they had some sort of film society or something like that. So I went over there for that. Uh, I used to, um, rush fraternities, uh, <laughs> when I was like 16, 17 years old. I mean, there was nothing else to do really in town, you know, I mean, those were the parties, uh, you know, you went there because, uh, you know, uh, you could hang out and, and pass yourself off as a college student or try to. Um, so it was horrific, and I have uh, I have a brother um, who is actually a lieutenant with the uh, Charlottesville Police Department, um, and I asked him, you know, about um, uh, about that day. Uh, you know, he was uh, conscripted. I mean, ordinarily he just sort of you know works a day job, um, uh, but uh, you know, he it was it was as bad as it looked, and yeah. Um, 
it's 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 a little strange to uh, you know to think that uh, that that's what Charleston now uh, denotes, I guess, in people's mind. I mean, that's you know that's the you, you mentioned Charleston, that's what people think of immediately. They don't think yeah. of Thomas Jefferson. They don't think of you know they, that's what they think of. Yeah, no, it's 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 crazy, and it it could have happened anywhere. I mean, I think that 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 there are people like that everywhere in this country. I mean, I live in upstate New York in a very, very blue part of upstate New York. I live near Woodstock, which is, Woodstock is exactly what you expect Woodstock to be in terms of how people vote and stuff like that. It's all, you know, uh, poetesses and things. But <laughs> even here, I mean, there's there's Trump flags and, and this and that. Shit, my car was in the in uh, on the street in front of my house and somebody put a Trump bumper sticker over the 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 biden harris sticker on my car right in front of my house i didn't even see it my wife came home she was furious and tore it off but i mean that's like kind of a violation and again i this is a pretty liberal hotbed but you know that that element of things is is everywhere Now, I want to ask a little bit about your background because you have an interesting background in terms of your your contribution to cinema and your writing and just where you've lived and stuff like that. So you were you were in Yugoslavia. How did that come about? How did you wind up there? Because you were acting, right, in a movie. Is that how you wound up there? I can't remember. Yeah. Um, well, um, yeah. I I moved to, to New York at eighteen to to study acting and. And, uh, you know, did my first feature film, like, you know, almost immediately. I mean, then I didn't really work for a long time. Um, and, um, but I did, you know, a lot of off-off-Broadway fringe theater um, and studied with, you know, great teachers, uh, Montgomery Cliffs, uh, uh, former personal coach, uh, Mira Rostova, uh, Frank Corsaro, who um, became the artistic director of the Actors Studio after Lee Strasberg died. Um, and, um, and, you know, then I, I was cast over the phone, uh, in Brooklyn while I was coming down from an acid trip. Um, <laughs> it's true. Uh, I know. <laughs> uh, I was cast in a film, uh, produced by, uh, Roger Corman, directed by the guy who had written After Hours for, um, Martin. Scorsese, I, I, I had been in this guy's uh, student film at NYU. And um, he said, if you can get on the plane tomorrow, um, you know, you, you have the, the part. So, you know, I got on the plane the next day. And, uh, and then I, so I ended up in LA. And um, there was no screenplay for the movie. And um, although the, the, the person who hired me was a writer, um, he was prohibited from taking a a credit for anything he wrote uh, for this movie by the Writers Guild because he was a member of the Guild. And so he and I were kind of um, collaborating in the script. And um, uh, and then I took over the writing completely because you know, he couldn't take a credit for it anyway. And then I was talked into putting my, my name on the script. I didn't want to do it because I was afraid people would hire me as a writer and not as an actor, which is exactly what did happen. Um, and then, you know, I very quickly, I mean, I, somebody recommended me. Uh, a corman for um, um, 
the Friday the 13th, the latest Friday the 13th sequel. I was hired for that. I was doing another movie for Roger. Um, and so I just moved out, out to LA. Um, and um, Roger sent me to uh, Belgrade, uh, Yugoslavia, then it was Yugoslavia, uh, the following year to star in a movie over there. It was the worst movie I've, I've ever done, and that's saying a lot. Uh, the director was a complete madman. Uh, he drove me crazy. I began to have panic attacks and, and develop full-blown panic disorder. And uh, I think had that not happened, I might have been very successful, but I came back kind of a basket case. And I didn't handle it well. I mean, you, if you have a panic attack, you, you just have to sort of ignore it and, and sort of just get on with life. But you, you can't do what I did, which is sort of fall down the rabbit hole of, of self-analysis because just tie yourself up in knots, which is what I did. And so I just sort of um, kept uh, working, you know, as an actor and as a screenwriter, what more is the latter. Um, I mean, I didn't have, have an agent for most of it. I mean, people would just recommend me and call me up and, you know, somebody would call me up and say, hey, uh, blah, 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 recommended, re recommended you. Um, I want to, you know, do a movie about, um, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, 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 polka dot uh, wearing um, uh, Venetians uh, invading uh, Venice Beach. You know, uh, you want to, you want to meet about that? Uh, uh, sure, yeah, you know. Um, and um, I never wanted to return to to Belgrade because um, I associated it with uh, uh, the panic attacks I'd had there. But um, I thought it would be good for me to go back, so. Uh, uh, there was a film company over there looking for an American actor, and I was recommended by um, uh, a Serb uh, living here, uh, Sergeant Dragovic, who directed, who directed a couple of really good movies. Um, and so I went over there to do a movie over there again, you know, and uh, that time I really, uh, really fell in love with it. You know, I, I uh, had a kind of a crew of friends, and we were doing a lot of drugs, and <laughs> um, and um, I had an idea for a novel while I was over there, and I just decided to, you know, to move back to to write the novel over there because, because, um, you know, it was so cheap to live there. Uh, so I sublet my place. I mean, my rent there was only like two hundred dollars a month or something like that. You know? This is in Belgrade. Mm -hmm. What year was it? What year? This is banned for life, right? What year did you start mm -hmm. writing that? Um, I started. I tr started trying to write it in 2000, and it took me about a year to to find the beginning. And I'm going. I've gone through a similar process with the novel. I, I'm, I'm trying. Well, I'm trying to start now. I think I finally got the beginning. It's taken me about a year to to find the beginning. Um, actually, two years, but that's because last summer I got diverted from the novel by uh, a, a nonfiction book that I'll probably end up um, uh, writing. I mean, I just fell down. I just began to research this thing like crazy and uh, because everybody who would know anything about the story is going to die at any second i mean they would all be you know elderly um right and uh so i just had to try, try to track them all down and interview them right now before they all you know die and um uh so so i abandoned the novel and now i've sort of have gone back to it i mean uh paradoxically um uh, 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 you know, pursuing this nonfiction story actually kind of helped me to to um, to to find the beginning of the novel. But then they're they're both set sort of in the same period and everything. Actually, I find, I I find that happens. You know, sometimes it's mm -hmm. good to take a little break, let it sit 
for a while, you come back to it, and then you you sort of see things you didn't see before. Right, exactly. Well, yeah. I mean, I actually was researching the novel when I I, I stumbled onto this this nonfiction story. So, um, uh, but anyway, uh, yeah, it was banned for life. Um, I finally found the beginning. Uh, right, right, right around the time of uh, 9-11, actually. And then, you know, of course, 9-11 shocked me out of, uh, uh, I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't write for a while. And then I just, it, it was at that point that I decided I'm just going to uh, go over to um, to uh, Belgrade and live over there. And and, um, and then I had to find my way back into it again and, and everything. But uh, yeah, so... Yeah, well, it was... turned out it turned out really well. This is this is a great book, and as you know, I've been I've been a um, an evangelical for this book since <laughs> since I first read it because it's one of those things where everybody's on this nervous breakdown site, and people's books are coming out, and you sort of buy everybody's book almost as a mitzvah, you know, just to be nice. And so I'm like, oh, okay, I like what he's writing here. Let's try this, and then you know, I'm completely. Uh, transfixed by it and everybody has the same reaction that i give it to my wife read it she loved it other people that i've given it to have really loved it so um i can't it's, it's been a, it, I, I can't believe how long it's been since these books came out you know no it's, it's kind of amazing yeah it yeah. took me well that book took me a long time because i just had a lot of um working on screenplays i really developed a lot of bad writing habits and uh and so I, I ended up just taking a long time to kind of try to shape every sentence and, and to try to weed out all the, you know, the, the cheap stuff. I mean, I really tried to get in there and really hone in on, on the characters, and, you know, would they do this and would they do that? And, uh, only to have somebody tell me a long time later, like about the, the climax, you know, of the book or, or one of the many waves, like Jason would never have done that. He would never have done, he would And I was like, I was like, what are you talking, he's my character, I mean, what do you, you know, what do you mean he wouldn't have done that? I would have done it, um, but, uh, but uh, yeah, uh, 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 thank you for, you know, I really appreciate all the, the evangelical work. I, I can't quite find the word I, I want to say. Is that the right word? It's not the right word. It's proselytize. So that's not the right word either. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm just a big fan of the book. And, and you write also these great essays about pop culture. Hmm. But I think sometimes when, when I read that, oh, this person writes about pop culture, what that usually translates into is somebody's online writing about the new Avengers movie or something. And that's dull. But you take generally subjects that are older that are almost forgotten about and reanimate them that that seems to be something i would say that you do like movie stars from a bygone era and stuff like that um you know certainly death valley superstars there's a lot of pieces like that in there what's your favorite do you think of these of these sort of pop cultural pieces that you've done which well, ones I, sh I should say well thank you i'm sorry i i, I cut you off i i uh I, I, I see more and more of that, by the way, people cutting each, each other off in, in, in modern communications. Um, um, I, uh, I want to just say about the thing about writing about old movie stars. I mean, it's not like I'm writing about, you know, 
people. I, I don't really write much about golden age stuff. Um, I don't write about, you know, Cary Grant or Gene Harlow or, you know, anyone like that, you know, uh, I'm not really all that interested in that kind of stuff. I'm interested more, my interest in movies, um, I, I'm very interested in the, in sort of the silent era uh, in a way. And then, and then I, 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 my interest is reawakened. I mean, significantly reawakened with film noir. And then I become uh, very, very interested in, in, um, uh, movies uh, uh, with um, the advent of method acting with Brando, Clifton, people like that. And um, I'm very interested in the 1960s and and uh, the, the early 70s anyway. And so a lot of Death Valley Superstars is really focused on that era. And uh, the, the nonfiction story I'm pursuing now is about a little known actor. Um, I mean, really little known actor um, who, who, uh, you know, who, who got involved in some clandestine activity, let's say. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I seem to gravitate toward, I, I'm rather embarrassed to say, toward people who die young. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, I tend to eulogize. I, 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 tend to, I think that sort of is my forte. I tend to, sort of, um, I'm really big on eulogy, I guess. Uh, and I'm interested in people who just led colorful lives. I mean, um, you know, um, in, in Death Valley Superstars, uh, you know, I write about Mark Rochette, the star of Zabriskie Point. I mean, he joined a cult and robbed a bank. Uh, that's kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sean Flynn, who um, was the son of Errol Flynn, became a photojournalist, uh, disappeared during the Vietnam War, uh, was killed almost certainly by the Khmer Rouge, but nobody really knows how. Um, people like that. I would say that... Um, I don't know that I really have uh, a single favorite piece in that, but I, well, I would say that there's a piece in there about Christopher Jones, uh, who was considered sort of the, the uh, next James Dean of the late sixties. Um, I think that's maybe um, the most um, moving uh, piece in the book, I think, uh, because I became somewhat close to a person who was very close to him in her final months. And, um, and that was the focus of the piece. And that was a year when a lot of, you know, a number of people um, died. And, and um, so I write a little bit about them in the piece. I mean, it began with him dying and then and a number of people followed. And um, so, yeah, that piece is called Catch Me. Um, I never thought I would write nonfiction, you know, that was never my aspiration. I began to write it. Hey, yeah. me neither. Look at me now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. There you go. <laughs> It's uh, I don't know. In some ways, it's more fun, and 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 it it cuts to the heart of things because we're still. I think when I write about anything that's happening, and and certainly when you do, it's yes, the thing that we're writing about is something that happened and is real, and isn't something invented. But the way that we're approaching it, because it comes from our own perception and our own voice. I don't know. There's still an originality to it. It's still creative. That's what I'm getting at. There's still a creative aspect to it, which is what yeah. ultimately what I want to be doing. You know, I want to be creative in what I'm what I'm working on. And creativity, as you know, takes many forms. You're a guy. You're you're an actor. You're a really good photographer. Uh, you're an excellent novelist. You write these essays, and you wrote the somehow the damn screenplay for Friday the Thirteenth Part What Seven? Yeah, Was it? I know. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing to be known for that. 
I know. I, mean, I know you hate that. Duke, Duke hates this. He's very embarrassed by this. But uh... no, I, I accept it now. I don't care anymore. <laughs> um, but um, uh, you know, that, I guess that's one of the things about getting older is that they always say that you don't give a damn about things to get older. And I guess that you know, you just don't have time to give a damn, a damn about anything. Um, but uh, uh, it was a weird thing to to fall into my lap. I mean, I was an art house guy. I mean, I was you know going to go see. Godard and, and Antonioni movies, you know, with the, with the Bleecker Street Cinema, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, I wasn't, uh, uh, I was the last person uh, that yes. uh, I would ever have thought would write a Friday the 13th movie, you know, but uh, I got the job and it paid 30 grand and, you know, that covered my movie from New York to LA and then some, you know. Um, uh, but uh, uh, yeah, it's just this kind of silly thing. But, you know, I think that you, that's the thing with fame. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, that I, I, I that writing that thing makes me famous. Certainly I'm not, I, writing books uh, will make practically nobody famous in this day and age. But, um, um, but uh, I, but, you know, it's just weird how you can be singled out uh, for celebrity by some, some, some odd thing that just happened to you. So, you know, you, uh, you know, um, you can be singled out for just something that has so little to do with you, in a way. Uh, yeah, it's true. It's true. Or, 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 or go backwards into something that, yeah. Um, you know, Michael Jordan just wanted to be a professional baseball player, so mm. maybe we get mm. what we want, but not quite the, not quite the thing that we want. So well, we get what we need. I, I don't know if where we try sometimes. That. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, I think Mick Jagger is an underrated writer of lyrics, I just want to say. And I'm not a Stones fan by you know by any stretch, but I think he's actually pretty good at writing lyrics. Be better than better than some of the other uh of his contemporaries. So Yeah, I think so. I think I mean I don't like the you know sympathy for the devil. I mean, I just think it's a little stupid, but uh <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's, I mean you know, what is this, you know, hope you guess my name. Well, I, I mean, what are you, come on now. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I guessed it right. It's in the title for God's sake. <laughs> uh, but generally I think you're right. Um, I think he is pretty good actually. He's uh, even, I think he's better than, you know, really, uh, I don't think, you know, we've talked about this before. I don't think that the, the Beatles were always necessarily particularly good. Uh, there's this, no, there's a lot often, of moon and June. You know? They're often awful, actually. Yeah. They're, they're secretly sneaky bad a lot of the time, mm -hmm. but uh, I see the girls walk by dressed in their summer clothes. I have to turn my head until my darkness goes. That's good. That's, mm -hmm. that's a good lyric. There's good lyrics. He writes good lyrics. Um, so, all right, we're going to we're going to wind this down because this is what happens with these things. We get talking mm -hmm. and then the next thing you know, all this time goes by. I want to I want to end on this. What are you reading now? What do you recommend? What should we be what should we be consuming, watching, reading, listening to? Well, thank you for asking me. Um, I'm reading. I got I think maybe 20 books um, all at once. A lot of them. A lot of my reading, unfortunately, is for research. Um, so, for example, I'm writing a book, or excuse me, uh, that was a Freudian slip, uh, reading a book uh, called Orange Sunshine, which is about um, a, a drug trafficking uh, a group uh, from the 1960s and 70s called the Brotherhood of Eternal Love, who operated out of Orange County, of all places, conservative Orange County. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that's for research. Uh, for um, uh, I'm reading another, one of the people I interviewed for my current project is, um, I think he may be the greatest person I've ever met, uh, I, although we haven't met physically uh, yet. Um, his name is Doug Peacock. He lives um, uh, in remote Montana. Um, not like the Unabomber. Uh, he has a wife. He's actually very attractive. Um, I think she might run a bookstore up there. Um, Doug uh, was in the Vietnam War. Um, and that's, it, it had to do with the reason I got in touch with him. Uh, he came back from the war traumatized, uh, like so many uh, veterans. And his solution was to go into the wilderness where he encountered um, a grizzly bear. Um, and um, uh, encountering this grizzly bear in the wild uh, 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 meant that he could not have any Vietnam flashbacks at that moment. I mean, all I could think about was the fact that there was a grizzly bear like, you know, 10 feet away from him. And, um, and uh, this, uh, th this encounter just changed his life. He, he went into the wild and began to study grizzly bears, became sort of a lay grizzly bear expert. He was also a lay physician because he was a medic with the Green Berets. He was a Green Beret, you know. He told me that, um, you know, he became a medic because it was like becoming a doctor without all the bullshit. That's why he put it to me. <laughs> um, but he became very close with uh, Edward Abbey, um, who immortalized him as one of the monkey wrench gangs. So Doug is, is kind of um, uh, legendary among environmental uh, environmentalists, uh, environmental activists. Um, and he and um, he just sent me. Gosh, I mean, you're right here. Um, he sent me, the other day, he sent me signed copies of two of his books. Grizzly Years is one of them. I've been reading this. This is just absolutely incredible. Um, and then he sent me another one, which is about, really about his relationship with um, Doug, uh, with Everett Abbey. It's called Walking It Off. And you can see he wrote this inscription here. This has to do with, um, with the, uh, the subject uh, that I'm writing about right there. I was very touched. Wow. Um, and he also sent me this postcard uh, 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 with a with a bear on it. <laughs> um, he's just an it's extraordinary to talk to him. Um, he just he just talks in complete sentences. Every I mean he he talks uh, like I I can only hope to write. I mean um, this my my senses come alive. I mean just hearing him describe like some scene of Vietnam. I mean he. Will describe a cup he was holding and you know the, the the texture of the ground he was walking on i remember him talking about uh the leaves and trees weeping with agent orange on them um Whoa. uh and um it's just a profound experience uh, i i've said to people if, if doug ran a cult i would join the cult um <laughs> and then for pleasure i am reading it's the last thing i'll say as i ramble on and on here uh i am reading a novel uh called a time to be born i think it is um uh, by a writer named Don Powell, um, who um, uh, never achieved any literary fame, apparently, in her own time. Uh, um, it's a comic novel, uh, 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 a kind of satire of Claire Booth Luce. Um, he was married to the Life magazine, Time Life Impresario, I guess. Uh, if I'm, I don't think I'm using the word Impresario correctly, but um, uh, Chief. Uh, publisher, um, and um, that's that's a real hoot. And she can actually, uh, Don Pell has a lot of really penetrating psychological insight um, in that book as well. So, 
I may read more of her after uh, after finishing uh, this book. Claire Booth Lewis, there's the there's the story where she and um, Dorothy Parker hated each other. You know this story, and they both uh, came. I think it was mm -hmm. Claire Booth Lewis. They both yeah. came to the to the door of some nightclub at the same time, and they you know they didn't know what to say. And Claire Booth Lewis said, "Well, uh, age before beauty," and sort of waved Parker in. And Parker said, "And pearls before swine." Yeah, that's that's one of her really famous. Um, yeah, it's a good one. Uh, yeah, I, I, I remember uh, one Dorothy Parkerism, which was, um, uh, you know, that old saying, you know, brevity is the soul of wit. Mm -hmm. Her amendment to that was, uh, brevity is the soul of lingerie. Yeah, that's a good one too. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you mentioned the Monkey Wrench Gang because I'd never heard of that book, and this is the second time today that I've seen it referenced. Somebody posted reading it on Twitter this morning, and then you mentioned it. So I think that's a sign that I have to go get it. I think so. Yeah, well, it, it, I don't know that it's, uh, you know, it's, I, I, well, Doug is one of the the main characters in that book. Let me just put it that way. I think he's called Hey Duke. And I, I mean, it's really funny to me that there are all these people out there that that know him that way. And, and um, uh, uh, you know, and they would love to meet, you know, the legendary Hey Duke, if I've got the name uh, right, but I, I just, you know, I, I never read the book, and I, I know nothing about that. You know, he told me he wrote me recently that, um, um, that um, he said, you know, he if he comes down to L.A. to do a, um, uh, you know, talk about bears, which is his big thing, um, he wants to involve Schwarzenegger, and then he, he said, you know, he mentioned to me, I already knew it, but he had done this. A segment for some nature show back in the late 70s with Schwarzenegger. So I had never seen it. I, I, I ran off and watched it. It's great, you know. Um, and, and uh, you know, it's like just like a 10 minute segment for some nature show. And, and uh, you know, by the end of it, you can just see that, uh, you know, that uh, it, it's Doug, not Schwarzenegger, who's the alpha. I mean, <laughs> Schwarzenegger was just, he's, I mean, he's just, it's just, uh, so happy to be in the company of Doug Peacock. I mean, Doug has blown his mind, you know, as Doug will do. Yeah. Um, at, at the end of my first conversation with him, as unfortunately, as you can, as you can imagine, I did a lot of the talking. Um, <laughs> I, I called him. I had a really hard time getting him um, to, to talk to me. He had promised to talk to me. And then I called him one night and and I guess it was rather late for him. And he asked me, the person I was calling him about, he asked, he did not know how the guy had died. And um, it was really painful to, to lead him through it because it, it, he died in a really horrific way. And, and Doug had been close to this person. And, and he's making all these sort of, you know, gasping sounds, things like that. I was leading him through what happened. And um, he said, well, you know, listen, I've got to go. Um, uh, uh, you know, right now, but um, I want you to know that, you know, you can call again, you know, the phone line is open. And he said to me, you're a good man. And I, it, it just, it meant the world to me that to have this guy say that to me, you know, because I mean, I could tell within two minutes of talking to him, like, you know, what it was that everybody saw in him. I mean, I, I had read a little bit of him, but at that point in trying to prepare for the interview. But um, anyway, I, this is just turning into a whole interview of me, like, uh, you know, being, being a Doug, Doug Peacock fanboy, but I, but I am one. He's, he's really an extraordinary, extraordinary guy. He writes beautifully. And uh, so, yeah.
I'm excited. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna check this. I'm excited for the new thing that you're writing, as I always am when when you're writing stuff. Well, I'm working on two things. I'm working. That's, on I a, know. It's like I'm double on bonus. A novel called the X-rated Book of the Dead, and uh, and I'm and I uh, and this other thing is looks like I thought it was just going to be an essay, and it looks like it might shape up into, you know, a nonfiction book. And um, so that's terrific. Let's see, let's see. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. So, are you still on Twitter, or did you leave? You're in and I out. I come and go. I hate social media with a passion. I know you uh, do. I know. But I uh, want to tell people where to go find you. That's the I thing. am on Twitter. I'm on Twitter again. I don't really use it a lot. And I know I I'm unlike Greg, I can't say anything succinctly or wittily enough to get, you know, I <laughs> I mean, I'll I'll I have an insight and I'll go, oh, that's good for Twitter. And I'll put it on there. And I mean, I might get like one, you know, like or, or something, you know. Um so I just uh, social media, you know, I, I, you know, ironically, I hate Facebook the most. And I and I finally seem to have learned somehow the secret of uh, of how to be liked on Facebook. I mean, I, you know, I uh, I post stuff on there and, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I mean, I actually got like 130 likes on uh, some uh, something I put up. It was an interview with with me. I didn't even think it was a particularly good one. I mean, I've done better ones, but for some reason, I got 130 likes on this. I mean, isn't it ridiculous? And I'm even telling. I'm able to tell you how many likes I got. I mean, I'm embarrassed that I'm even saying that. You know, that's that's the key of the thing, though. It's just this whole crazy. That's that's the time that we live in. Um, I was trying to make some sort of joke about 130 grizzly bears, but I can't, it's not coming to me. It's too late in the day. But that's probably so, all that's left. I mean, Doug is trying to save the grizzly bear. Um, and so, yeah, that's probably all that's left actually oh in, the, in the lower 48. 48. Um, I mean, California has a grizzly bag on its, on its flag and there are no grizzly bears in California. They were all killed. Um, <laughs> and that's me. That's not, I mean, Doug didn't tell me, he didn't have to tell me that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's that's just insane. Um, anyway, again, Duke Haney got banned for life. You got Death Valley superstars. You've got Subversia. Subversia is also your Twitter handle. So mm -hmm. check him out. Go buy his books. You will not be disappointed. Duke, thanks so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. The Prevail theme song is by Matthew Fossa. Sofia Tereshenko provided the Russian introduction. Voice talent is provided by Tally Briggs, Signet Della, Stephanie St. John, Brett Petticord, Ryan Byrne at History Falls Apart, and me. Thanks to Allison Gill, Molly Hawkey, Kanai Williams, and everyone else at MSW Media. Please subscribe to the Prevail website with updates every Tuesday, Friday, and Sunday. Your $5 monthly subscription funds the site and the podcast. Visit gregoliar.com to learn more. Thanks for listening. Drive safely. Don't forget to tip your server. Until next time, we shall prevail. MSW.